it's great to be here. Thank you for having me today. And of all days of the year, to be here is Easter Sunday. Like this is this is such a precious day in the life of our church, in the life of the church worldwide. Um, as I was preparing for this, I was thinking about um, things that we anticipate. Like, have you ever anticipated something and had this picture of what it was like? and been really excited and working up towards it, and then it comes and it looks really different than what you expected. I was going to bring wedding photos. <laughs> because, uh, I, like, I guess as a child I had this idea that this I would have this beautiful white wedding and uh, it would look a certain way. Our wedding certainly didn't look like that. I'm almost embarrassed of our wedding photos, but I shouldn't say that because Mick's sitting there. But I don't know any other bride in two weeks, I don't know any other bride who wore Roman brown leather sandals in their wedding. And I should have had, I went on a sidecar that was decorated with daisies. We, we were hippies then, so what can you say? But, but the anticipation of something looking one way and then you get to it. And this is what it was sort of like for the Hebrew nation. They were anticipating the Messiah to come. The great Messiah was coming and they thought he was going to set up political rule, overthrow the Roman government, and they were going to, he was going to set up rule like this. And when Jesus came, it just, it just threw everything into chaos because that's not how it should be done. And I think... This day of all days, we see the fullness of who Jesus is, but it's the most surprising day in human history. It's, it's surprising. It wasn't meant to be like that. It wasn't meant to look like that. It, they, they had the idea of what this was all going to be about. And he just throws an absolute spanner in the works and does things the most unexpected way. I want to look today at, if I've got this on, yeah, I have. I want to look at three major players in the, um, in the Easter story, but they're, they're the support actors. And I want to look at these guys because um, it was probably really surprising to them what had happened too. And these stories are incredible. I actually relate with these three characters uh, quite deeply. I, I, and I hope you do too. I think that you will. And you will um, anticipate or you will experience some of the surprise that it must have been like for these guys. The first one is Peter. He was an incredible character. So let's go back to the night before Jesus died. But I want to look firstly at the, the Last Supper. So picture with me the story. We've journeyed, we're here on Easter Sunday, so we know the answer. But imagine what it was like for these guys. They didn't know how it was going to turn out they suddenly realised that what Jesus was bringing was totally different. So they, they realise now that the kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. It's a really different kingdom than what they'd anticipated. But here's Messiah. The Messiah is with them. They're having the Last Supper together. They're sitting there eating, talking, and probably having quite a good time. And during that conversation somewhere, Peter begins to tell Jesus of his great love for him. I really love you, Jesus. You know, I, I love you more than anything. You're so great. You're so wonderful. And it's an incredible story. Let me read part of that for you. So then Jesus told them, this very night, you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, 
even if all of these guys fall away, even if all of you fall away, I never will. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. Pretty bold statement. I'm, I'm a Peter, I do that. Like I, I know what that's like. I would never do that. I'm with you, Jesus, I'm for you. And this is Peter. This is Peter sitting there with Jesus. So Jesus is talking about what's going to happen and this is going to occur and people will be scattered. It's not going to be a good thing that you're in for. I'm your man, Jesus. I would never do that. I'm with you. I'm right there with you. They may all, all of these guys here, you might all run off, but I never will. I'm with you, even to death. What a bold statement he made. Like, what a bold statement. And the story continues and we see the story. He goes, within eight hours, within eight hours, we see literally all hell break loose. Within eight hours. So Jesus goes out and he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and he's there in agony as he is facing what Easter is all about. And he's there and he goes back and he says, to, to Peter, James and John, come with me, I need you. Like at this moment of my death, I need you, I need you with me. And they go a short way and then Peter falls asleep. But remember, I'm with you, Jesus, all the way, even to death, he falls asleep and he comes again, Jesus comes back, back again to him and says, Come on, guys, I really need your support. In this hour, I need you with me. Yeah, yeah, we're your man, I'm your man. And then he goes again and falls asleep. This continues until the guards come to take Jesus away. He's awake by this stage because he grabs out his sword and lops off the ear of Malchus, one of the guards. You know, like great help that is. And then Jesus, sure, the last thing he wanted to do was heal this guy at that time. So he heals him. Peter's still gung-ho, I'm with you, Jesus. You know, watch me, watch me. You know, I take hold of the sword. And then Jesus is taken off to this court, this sham trial, this mock trial. And we see him being dragged off and Peter follows at a safe distance. He follows him. And then he's confronted by this lady that says, you're with him, I saw you with him. And Peter goes, oh, not me, mate, that's someone else. And this lady returns again. I saw you. I saw you with him. You, you were with him. I, I've seen you. And he goes, no, I've just got one of those familiar faces. It's just, you know, like I've got a face that people often mistake. And then he said, then the third time, the third time, again, he's confronted. You were with this man. I've seen you with this man. I know nothing. I, I don't know this man at all. I know nothing about this man. And then he hears the rooster crow. Remember the rooster? He hears the rooster crowing and suddenly he's confronted with what this means. And he looks up and he catches Jesus' eye across the courtyard at that time. He catches his eye across the courtyard and the Bible tells us he breaks down and he weeps bitterly. And we don't see him again until after the resurrection. What happens in the space of Friday to today? Where is he? We, we see nothing of him. 
We have these great Easter stories of what today means, you know, citing Jesus risen from the dead. But I wonder how he lived in those days. I know how he lived. You idiot. You idiot, you are so mouthy. You put it out there, you're so full on. I'm your man, Jesus. I'm going to do this. I'm so great. I'm so wonderful. I'm your right-hand man. In fact, I could sit on the right-hand side of you. It wasn't him that said that. But I know the self-talk that goes on in those few days. I know what that's like, this failure. I'm a failure. This is my Christian walk. I'm meant to be there supporting you, even dying for you. And here I am. I can't stay awake. I go take up a sword, cut off the ear of one of the guards, and then I deny you. That's a pretty woeful story when you look at it. It's pretty, pretty heartbreaking. How do we live with our failure? How do we live with that? And then we have verses maybe thrown at us. If you deny me before man, I would deny you before God. What was going on in Peter's head in this space? I look at him and I think of the failure. I think of how incredibly difficult this must have been for Peter in that space. What I love about this, what I I love more about this story than anything else is, who is the first disciple that Jesus appears to after his resurrection? Who is it? It's Peter. It's Peter. What a great story. What a great story. Do you know, this This gives me hope for my life. In my failure, the times that I really blow it, that's where Jesus is found, right in the centre of that. I look at Peter's life and I, I look at him. This guy was weak, cowardly, fickle, changeable, up one day, down the next. He was so up and down. He was so, so out there. He was all mouth. It's me. All mouth. And his actions took a while to catch up. But we see his association with Jesus changed him into a man of humility, stability, courageous service for God. And he becomes one of the pillars of the church. I love this story. I love this story. Right smack bang in the centre of failure. That's where Jesus transformed. It's not when he's up there gung-ho, I'm going to die for you. It's in his failure that he meets us. I love this story. We see Peter, great intentions, little follow through. And it doesn't disqualify him. In fact, Jesus meets him there. And we hear Peter say something incredible. He said this before, you are the Messiah. He recognises the God in God. He just recognises that. It's an amazing story. I love this. Let's move on to the second player because I identify with this one too. This is Mary Magdalene. It's not Caravaggio. This is the artist that painted this. I had to put a couple of art pictures in there. But Mary Magdalene's story is incredible. Like it's another incredible story. She's painted in the scripture, or not in the scripture, she's painted by the church as a prostitute, but that's probably not real likely that she was. We do know she was a woman of ill repute, so she probably slept around a fair bit. (laughs) She had a tarnished reputation. 
And so what attention would you give a woman with a tarnished reputation? You don't give them much room, you know, like just keep them at a distance. And particularly in these days, do you know that you couldn't even take the testimony of a woman in court? That's how the situation was. Let alone one who's got a tarnished reputation, a woman of ill repute. But Jesus took her with him. She actually travelled with Jesus. And in today's uh, day and age, she probably would be counted as one of the disciples. A bit of heresy for you this morning. <laughs> but she probably would have been. She travelled with him and she was given great authority by Jesus. She, we will get to that. But in that day and age, Jesus shouldn't really be seen with her. She was a fallen woman, a woman of ill repute. And yet she's incredible in this Easter story that we read today. Let's read a bit of scripture here. John 20. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over and looked into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she says, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realise that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned to him. Something happened in that moment. Something happened, incredible, happened in that moment. She turned towards him and she cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Why would he send her? Why would he send her? Her testimony doesn't stand up in a court. She's a woman. She's a woman of ill repute. Let's read on a little bit more. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord, and she told them, that he had said these things to her. The other interesting thing is about this story is to give a woman this sort of place in the Easter story, why would you do that? Like, why would you do that? If I were God, I would, I would get someone important, someone who could verify it. I'm, I, I'd, I'd be sure to get someone maybe the chief Pharisee or one of the chief priests, that's that's who I would get because she can't give testimony. But what I love about this story is she is the first person who gets to carry the gospel message. She's the first person. Why choose her? Mark, the book of Mark, we've read from John, but the book of Mark says, when Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he'd cast seven demons. Like, why choose her? Surely there, there was a better choice in all of Jerusalem. Surely there was a better choice than this woman. He appears to her first. You've got to love this. The first person he chooses to share the gospel is not the most articulate, 
not the most respected, certainly not the most theologically trained. She's a woman, a woman, and not only a woman, one of ill repute with that, and one he's had to cast seven demons out of. Like, what a dumb story. But again, we see Jesus had met her in her failure and interacted with her and changed her life. And he gives her such respect to be the first woman to carry the gospel message. Not only the first woman, the first person to do that. The Pharisees wouldn't have chosen her. The biblical scholars wouldn't have chosen her. The early church wouldn't have chosen her. The executive wouldn't have chosen her. The Bible colleges today wouldn't have chosen her. I wouldn't have chosen her. And this is what I love about our story. This is what I love about our story. He meets us in our failure and our weakness and he changes our life. He absolutely changes our life. The third and final player I want to look at today is this one here. This is Thomas. Don't you love Thomas? I reckon Thomas has got a bad rap over the years. Actually, I'm really sure he got a bad rap over the years. Thomas was fairly outspoken. We actually see a few times in the Gospel, I just want to touch on a couple of times where we see Thomas. And he actually blurts out pretty dumb questions at really inappropriate times. I don't know if you've ever done that, but I was sort of guilty of that over my life. Inappropriate questions at inappropriate times. And this is Thomas. Like, he's quite funny. John 14, 4 to 6, talks about Jesus is having this conversation with the disciples. And Thomas, I think, must have forgotten where he was because the other disciples were around him. Like, I'm sometimes smart enough to wait till there's no one else around. But at this stage, he doesn't. So Jesus is talking to the disciples, telling them what's going to happen in the Easter story, telling them he's going to be with the Father. Let me read a little bit of this to you. It says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You recognise this, don't you? Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place that I'm going. So this conversation is a pretty deep conversation. It's not your everyday conversation. Jesus is laying it out to these guys. Like, this is what's going to happen. I'm sharing my deep heart with you guys. It's quite funny and it's pretty serious. What's Thomas's response? Here's one of Thomas's response. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we find the way? I'm sure he would have been embarrassed that he asked a pretty dumb question like, Jesus is having this deep moment and Thomas blurts that out. I wonder if the disciples began to stir him and tease him and question him about that. Oh, shut up, Thomas, come on. Like, why is it always you that does this? You know, it's quite interesting. And again, remember when Lazarus dies and the disciples are pretty upset with Jesus at that time because they're thinking if Jesus had gone up there earlier, He might not have died. And this is a really emotional time for Jesus, like an extremely emotional time. Him and Lazarus are like this. And it's a really emotional time. And so 
Thomas's response to Jesus at that time is, well, let's go up to Jerusalem and we might die. Like he, he's, He's pretty out there. His responses are not well thought through. And he, I think it's one of those questions, oh, you've done it again. Oh, why have you blurted out this? But the most famous scripture that we know about Thomas is the one I'm going to read. And like I said, I think Thomas gets a bad rap, but just let's have a look at this. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, the doors were locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Okay, so all of the disciples are quite fearful at this point. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. I think this is significant. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. So they're standing there, they're frightened. Okay, the disciples are really frightened at this point, quite concerned, quite upset. And Jesus comes and he's He's standing in the middle of them. And what does he do? What does he do here? He shows them his hands and he shows them his side. Why does he do that? Yeah, yeah, exactly. He does that to show that it's Jesus. I think it's significant though. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them. So he breathes on them. And said, receive the Holy Spirit. So this is pretty cool action that's happening here. He says, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Pretty full-on story that we get to here. So we've had the disciples in the room standing there. Jesus shows them his sight, shows them his hands, and then he breathes on them the Holy Spirit. I reckon that's a pretty definitive sign that Jesus is among them. I think they can be rest assured that Jesus is there. He's proven to them by his wounds and Holy Spirit comes upon them. So fairly sure sign that Jesus is amongst them. Let's move on to the next verse. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, was one of the 12. He was not with the disciples when Jesus came. He wasn't there. So the other disciples go and tell him what's happened. We've seen the Lord, but he said to them, well, unless I see the nail marks in in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hands in his side, I will not believe. So he's been told that Jesus appeared. I'm sure he's been told that they saw the nail marks and the, the spear in the side, the marks there, the wounds there. So they're telling him this, but he hasn't seen it at this point. Okay, a week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your fingers here. See my hands? Reach out your hands and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. This is a pretty full-on thing. This is a pretty big moment in the history of Easter, the Easter story. Thomas is invited to touch Jesus' hands, the nail prints, and his side. He's invited into one of the most intimate places ever. Who else got to touch those wounds? 
this, I see this as a really intimate moment that Jesus invites um, Thomas into. I really like Thomas. I really like who he is. I like his inappropriate blurting out. I like, Mick describes me like this. You open your mouth to find out what you're thinking. And I first went, no, but I actually think Thomas is a bit like that. He opens his mouth to find out what he's thinking. He blurts out things inappropriately. But Thomas was authentic. He didn't say, oh, I get it. I understand when he didn't get it. He was authentic about where he was, what what part of the story he was in. He didn't try to fit in with others. He was curious and he, I think with all his heart, he wanted to be present, like really present with Jesus unless I touch him, unless I I experience this, I don't believe. I, I believe we give him bad press, doubting Thomas. The Bible doesn't call him doubting Thomas. But we've given him this name that stuck through history. I think Jesus is okay with our doubts. He invites him to one of the most intimate places that anybody has ever been. Come and place your hand in my wounds. What an intimate place. I find that a really precious, intimate place that Jesus calls him to. I find this whole story really interesting. Let's let's remember this whole Easter story. Mary had told the other disciples that Jesus had appeared to them and they didn't believe. They didn't believe her when she went and spoke to them and they weren't called the doubting disciples. The disciples on the road to Emmaus, they didn't believe either. They were sad and depressed and Jesus is walking with them and says, Why are you so sad? Why are you so depressed? Oh, haven't you heard what's gone on? You must be the only people in all of Jerusalem, only person in all of Jerusalem Jerusalem that hasn't heard what's gone on. Jesus appears to the ten disciples minus Thomas and he shows them his wounds. So they've experienced all this and yet we give Thomas this bad press I actually think this story is an incredible, intimate passage of Scripture. I actually think Jesus doesn't mind the questions. Jesus doesn't mind the doubts. Jesus doesn't, Jesus doesn't mind that, that we work it out. Like, let me, I, I need to see, I need to experience you. I think if we stand afar from the Easter story, That's more of a problem. I think he wants to invite us right in to this Easter story. Inviting the question, dealing with doubts. I think it's part of our walk. And Thomas' response. Do you remember his response to that? My Lord and my God. He has a really intimate experience. I love Thomas. I love Mary, Magdalene, I love Peter. I love these stories. Do you know the Bible is the only religious scriptures or religious writings in the world that talks about the failures of its heroes? Aren't you glad for that today? To me, this is the key of the Easter story. It's in our failure. It's in our weaknesses 
that so often God proves who he is to us. And we can go beyond looking at the Easter story from afar. We're invited right into it, even to touch the wounds in his hands and his sides. We're invited into that. I love this so much. I think when we're so confident and so on top and so together, we're like the Hebrew nation that's waiting for this Messiah who's going to come riding this white horse, you know. When we're so on top, when we're so together, when we know all the answers, I think that's dangerous ground for us because this resonates with me and it's the reason I do what I do is finding our, being comfortable or not being comfortable with our failures, but understanding our frailties. And I have the privilege of spending a lot of time with people in prison or girls rescued from trafficking and things like this that are absolutely broken and absolutely unworthy. I'm so glad we have heroes like these that have failed, have blown it, are inappropriate, just don't get it together. I'm so glad these are our heroes Doubters, denial, denying Jesus, immoral lifestyle, these are our heroes. And that's why our story is so surprising. That's why our story is so surprising. Do you know, Jesus is the most surprising, he just turns up in the most surprising way. Um, where's Sam? I'm going to get Sam to come up and I'm going to paint and he's going to sing in a moment. I'll be right there. <laughs> Sorry, Sam. I, I had the other night I did an art and soul program and it was faith and spirituality night. So oh, let me take a step back. Art and soul is a program I run that teaches people to paint that have depression or anxiety. And I do it in lots of places, prisons and all over the place. But part of that is I, I do one night that's faith and spirituality night. And it's great because I have a whole captive um, audience of people that don't have any faith, they, they're unchurched, don't, don't know anything about God. And so, uh, not this Thursday gone, but the Thursday night before, had the group there and it was faith and spirituality. And I said to the, the group of people, um, okay, we've looked at the physical side of depression and anxiety, we've looked at the emotional side, we've looked at the intellectual side, tonight we're going to look at the spiritual side. And I talked to them about the fact that if we're not, we don't get this sort of thing together. We're not fully integrated as people. So let me tell you, and all I do is tell them my story. And I've got a good story, like, you know, my story is rather interesting. I was, um, I was a drug addict and delivered a drug addiction, like, instantly. And it's not everyone's story, let me tell you, but it's my story. So I tell them my story, we do the painting, and then I said to them, okay, what I want you to do is get your visual diaries out, and I want you to write... Dear Michelle, you write your own name. Dear, dear Sam, whatever. I want you to write that at the top of the page. And then I said to them, okay, now I want you to write because God wants to speak to you. I want you to begin to write what God is saying. And they all look at me like I'm weird and go, but I just say to the facilitators, just write, just write anything. Just. And this lady, she says to me, I don't believe in God. And I said, that's okay. That's okay, just, just write anyway. He wants to speak, so just write. So everyone else is writing, so she begins to write. At the end of writing her letter to herself from God, she came up to me and said, 
I think God's told me I've got to forgive my dad. And I said, oh, that's really interesting. She said, oh, that's, that's pretty difficult because he was pretty, pretty bad. And I'd heard her stories about her dad. And I said to her, look, forgiveness doesn't, and trust are two different things. Forgiveness and trust, forgiving someone doesn't mean you have to trust them. You don't have to trust your dad. All it means is you've got to release your dad. Stop wanting to see vengeance or revenge on him and release his life so he can have a good life. You don't have to trust him. You don't even have to interact on a deep level if you don't want to. You just release him. And at that moment, a sister comes up and she said to her sister, I think God wants me to forgive dad. And the sister said, what do you mean, forgive dad? And she said, oh, can you tell her that thing about forgiveness and trust? And so I talked to these women about that. That's a surprising story. That's a surprising story. Jesus is found in the most surprising, surprising ways. This Easter story is a surprising one. I would not have chosen the support actors in this story that he chose. I would have chosen people that had it together. And he doesn't. And this is what, this is what I love about the story. Let me paint for you. Sam's going to sing. <laughs> 